For decades, the details surrounding Charles Fox Parham's arrest in San Antonio, Texas have been shrouded in mystery. Most newspapers in the United States refused to name the charges or to discuss the details due to the shock it would bring their readers during the early 1900s, and instead described it as a, quote, nameless crime or, quote, unnatural crime involving a young boy. Because of the obscure details, Parham managed to escape most of the speculation to be named as one of God's generals for kids. Parham's primary religious accuser, Wilbur Voliva, was also his primary adversary in John Alexander Dowie's Zion Commune, and he stood much to gain. Since Voliva was the primary source of the description of the crime, it looked very much as though Voliva was either exaggerating the charge or was outright lying. Only recently, and thanks to the digitalization of the San Antonio Daily Express, has the year in question been made available to the public, and the details of Charles Parham's arrest are now made known. In early July 1907, Charles Parham held a several-week series of revivals at the Majestic Theater. On Tuesday morning, it was announced that it would continue from July 14th through 21st. Before the end of the revival, however, while Parham was giving special lessons to children in the Majestic Theater, Constable Stevens arrested Parham in front of the junior members of the congregation. Parham had been working towards taking control of John Alexander Dowie's Christian Catholic Church sect for over a year, and after the death of Dowie, was holding revivals to build new converts to his apostolic faith. Over 200 people within Dowie's Zion compound were Paramites, members of Parham's cult of personality. Dowie cult leaders F.F. Bosworth and John G. Lake were members of the Paramite sect. A group of Paramites in San Antonio had invited Parham, and he came to hold his revivals at the Majestic. Those same members of the congregation that had invited Parham to San Antonio were the ones filing the charges with Stevens. The landlady at Parham's rooming house was the primary witness of the event, and letters were written by several of Parham's now former friends as evidence of the charges. They were enough to convince Stevens to issue a warrant for Parham's arrest. On July 20, 1907, Charles Fox Parham and J.J. Jordan, a Jewish boy, were charged with sodomy in the court of Justice Ben Fisk. The examination was waived and they were sent to jail on bonds set at $1,000. Parham initially confessed to the crime, but then decided to fight the charges in court. According to the newspaper accounts, there was a mass of evidence against Parham, which included his own confession. During the court proceedings, affidavits, letters, and the testimony of an eyewitness were submitted as evidence against Parham, and it was learned that Parham had been accused of sodomy in Waco, League City, and Orchard, Texas. A certified copy of Parham's explanation of the charges in Orchard was also used as evidence in the San Antonio case. In his defense, Parham did not deny sodomizing Jordan, but instead explained that he did not do so intentionally. According to Parham, the act was likely committed during his sleep. He repeatedly stated throughout the trial that, 
I am not guilty of intentional crime. Newspapers noted that Parham's own testimony gave credibility to his accusers. Parham stated, A short time ago, I met an angel-voiced boy here, and I asked him to come with me to sing hymns. He has been staying with me, and he can testify that these charges are untrue. As God is my witness, I am guiltless of intentional crime. They are blasting my character, but I will not resist. I am a helpless degenerate physically. I swear, however, that I never committed this crime intentionally. What I might have done in my sleep, I cannot say, but it was never intended on my part. With the help of Voliva, news of Parham's sexual misconduct spread quickly across the nation within early Pentecostalism, and Parham's foothold in Zion was suddenly lost. Many converts to the Paramite sect refused to believe the charges, ignoring what the newspapers considered to be overwhelming evidence against his character. Parham was never convicted, however, as the courts were never able to prove that he intentionally sodomized Jordan and the others. The controversy created a division among the ranks of Paramites in Zion, and Parham ultimately lost control of his splinter group that converted from John Alexander Dowie's Christian Catholic Church. Charles Fox Parham's character was further tainted when he was named by the jury in the case of Letitia Greenhall. Letitia Greenhall was the center of focus of a torture and murder investigation of the early Paramites in Zion, Illinois, after the death of John Alexander Dowie. She came to Zion City seeking healing of rheumatism and paralysis in 1902 at age 59 and remained under Dowie's care until demise. She was a member of the Dowie sect for five years without being healed and in September of 1907 was killed during a failed exorcism as the Paramites attempted to cast the demons out of her crippled body. Her son Walter, daughter Jenny, Paramite leader Harold Mitchell and his wife Anna, and Louise Smith were all participants in the crime. At the time of her death, Charles Fox Parham was under bond in San Antonio, awaiting trial for sodomy against J.J. Jordan. Parham had started the sect there in 1906 as Dowie's health was failing and had started a splinter group that had grown to over 200 members. Though with the arrest of Parham himself, the sect was in disarray after he was arrested for sodomy. Bosworth was one of the head Paramite preachers, but Mitchell declared himself to be the new leader of the Paramites, quote, chosen by God. Walter Greenhall, who was a scribe for Mitchell's alleged prophecies, became convinced that he had been given a gift of healing by God during one of Mitchell's visions. Both he and his sister then insisted that their mother should be treated for her paralysis. Mitchell, his wife, and Smith joined them to assist the treatment of their mother, at which time Mitchell announced that God had sent him full power for the cure. Mr. Greenhall, who did not join the Paramide side of the schism, was sent out of the house. Then, the five proceeded to murder Letitia Greenhall. Newspaper accounts of the exorcism detailed the severe torture that Letitia Greenhall suffered at the hands of the five who attempted to heal her. After a loud prayer by Mitchell, his wife took hold of one of the woman's legs, gripped it tight, and by twisting, 
pulling, and pressing down upon the knee, forced it nearly straight. The screams of agony ran through the house, but the same cruel treatment was given the other limb, and as both showed signs of returning to their former positions, the son seated himself on the knees to hold them straight. As he did so, he heard a breaking sound made by the fracture of the bones. What was that, he demanded, shaking Mitchell by the arm. It's only corruption coming out with the devils, was the answer. Don't hurt her, pleaded the son. And Mitchell pushed him away, saying, Those are not her cries. They are the cries of the demons. And he put his hand over her mouth, stifling her screams. As they ceased for a moment, he took his hand away, and the dying woman muttered, I was in hell, but it soon will be heaven. With that, thinking that she meant she was being cured, Mitchell began with her deformed arms. The screams broke out again, and as they did, he made a signal to his wife, who, with Mrs. Smith, began to dance around the room waving their hands and striking at the air. They said afterward that they were driving out the room the bad devils as they left the body. Each arm cracked as it was bent away from the body where rheumatism had kept it locked for years. The victim seemed almost unconscious, but a spasm of pain, more severe than the rest, passed through her frame and the broken arms, and legs rose in the air, seeming to push at Mitchell. He covered her head with a pillow, and as the motion ceased, he removed it. And seizing her by the head, he gave her neck a severe wrench that dislocated the vertebrae. The body sank back, motionless. They continued working at the senseless muscles until they saw no response was given. After Greenhall was dead for half an hour, the Paramites attempted to conceal the murder. A Zion undertaker was convinced to embalm the body without notifying the coroner of the condition of Greenhall's body. Deputy Coroner Edward Conrad in Waukegan, however, received an anonymous message informing him that there was suspicious circumstances surrounding the death of Greenhall. Chief of Police A.A. Walker began investigating the Paramites, and it was discovered that there were several suspicious deaths associated with the Paramite sect. Apparently, the Paramite sect had been practicing exorcisms resulting in death for some time. Further examination of the body showed that both knees, both elbows, and the left collarbone were broken, and other parts of the body were injured. The bones were broken longitudinally, giving such intense pain that the doctors determined the bone-breaking shock was the cause of her death. All five Paramites and the undertaker involved were charged with manslaughter and blamed Charles Fox Parham for training them in their methods. Parham, out of town at the time, denied the jury's statement against him. The jury, however, blamed Parham for the dangerous religious practices that led to her death. They said, We the jury find that the deceased came to her death by violence at the hands of Harold Mitchell and Mrs. Mary Mitchell as principals and Walter Greenhall and Jenny Greenhall and Mrs. Louise Schmidt as accessories and we hold each of the foregoing to the grand jury to answer the charge of manslaughter. We also find that the undertaker, B.J. Hopkins, was an accessory after the fact, he having violated the law in regard to the issuance of death certificates, and is so much as the evidence shows 
that the laws and regulations pertaining to the issuance of death certificates has been wantonly violated in Zion City by Health Officer N.J. LaRose and Undertaker B.J. Hopkins. We respectfully call to the attention of the State Board of Health to this matter and recommend that they take such steps as are necessary to prevent further violations in this matter. We the jury further find by investigating the death of Mrs. Greenhall that certain practices under the leadership of one Charles F. Parham and his followers, which are both disgraceful and dangerous to society, and we believe that these practices should be thoroughly investigated by the proper authorities.